Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 5 through 9. And let me just remind you, so the reason this is called Ephesians is because this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church that was in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a Roman city um, on the western coast of modern-day Turkey, and Ephesus would have been a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus Christ because Ephesus was full of false religions. There was the temple of Artemis dedicated to the worship of the goddess Artemis located there, a massive, incredible structure, one of the seven wonders of the world. And so throngs of people came to Ephesus to worship Artemis, and Ephesus itself was full of people who worshipped Artemis. Not only that, Ephesus was a headquarters for the dark occultic practice of just what's called the dark arts, dark devil-worshipping religions. So you have the, the worship of Artemis, you have magic being practiced, occultic magic. Ephesus would have been a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this letter to encourage them with all that they have in Christ, even though they are small in number, and even though they're surrounded by people who are pursuing false religions, he wants to remind them of all that they have in Jesus Christ so that they can be filled with his love, filled with his power, and shine with his glory in their workplaces and homes and on the marketplace. And in today's passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Paul wants to explain how bond servants, bond servants, and masters can glorify Jesus Christ in their respective callings. Bond servants and masters. Look at what Paul says. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bond servants, Paul says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would obey Christ. Shocking statement. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good Anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Then he addresses masters. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, in verse 5, we see Paul talking to bondservants. And to understand what he's talking about, we need to be clear on what bondservants are. So, who are bondservants? Bondservants were men and women who were legally owned by a master. Now, this could come about in a couple different ways. One very common way it came about is if a, a man or a woman had gotten into severe financial trouble in major debt... And the only way they, they could get out of it was by selling their work for a year, two, three, ten years to a master to get their debt paid off. That's how many got into being a bond servant. Another way bond servants became bond servants was if, if they were living in a different 
Rome had conquered, then they would be taken as slaves, sold at the marketplace, and belong legally to a master. So, very different circumstances being a bond servant. Some bond servants were highly trained and educated, like lawyers, doctors, teachers. Some were paid, some were very well paid. Others were terribly abused and oppressed. So, very different situation could involve being a, a bond servant. Now, at the time this letter was written, many, many people uh, in the Roman Empire were bond servants. And the ESV Study Bible, which I recommend, really helpful resource, says that probably one third of the population of Ephesus were bond servants. So here's the picture some of these bond servants in Ephesus had heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They'd put their faith in Jesus, been forgiven for their sins outpouring of God's love by the Holy Spirit, they'd become part of the church, and they were there. How do we live as bondservants? Some masters who had bondservants had heard the good news of Jesus. They'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, put their trust in Him, been forgiven for all their sins, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they became part of the church and wanted to know, what does it mean for us as masters to be followers of Jesus? And so Paul wants to tell both bondservants and masters how, in their respective roles, they can display the glory of Jesus Christ to Ephesus, the city around them. And what Paul says to bond servants and masters is crucial for us to understand today because it directly applies to our jobs and our workplaces here in Abu Dhabi. Now, here's why I say this. As I was thinking about this passage, it struck me that Satan has deceived many followers of Jesus, maybe some of you, in terms of understanding work. He, Satan has, has given us this lie that there's two very different kinds of work. Say over here, there's God's work, okay? And God's work is like preaching a sermon or leading a home group, doing something that's like church-oriented. That's God's work. And then he says there's another kind of work, and this is your work. Okay, this is your being an accountant or being a security guard or being a teacher. And Satan's deceived us with the idea that we can glorify God by doing God's work. That's where we glorify God. If you're doing some ministry, children's ministry, worship team, preaching a sermon, okay, that, that's how you glorify God. But when it comes to your work, that's just to pay the bills. And so what that means, it's a terrible deceptive lie because what it means is that if that's true, then what you spend most of your life doing, you can't glorify God in. You're just paying the bills. And I want to tell you, Paul has good news for us this morning. And that is that he calls you to glorify Christ in your work as a security guard, as a construction worker, as a banker. He calls you as a teacher, as a nurse, as a doctor to glorify Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how that happens in this passage. So to connect this passage to Abu Dhabi, understand that bond servants in Ephesus 2,000 years ago are like employees in Abu Dhabi today. Not identical, but lots of similarities, enough similarities that we can make the application. And masters in Ephesus 2,000 years ago are like, not exactly, but similar to managers or bosses here in Abu Dhabi today. And Many of you are employees, right? And many of you are managers. 
And many of you are both employees and managers, right? So this passage applies to many of us this morning. And he starts off, Paul starts off giving a truth to bond servants that would have transformed how they did their work. And it's a truth that I pray will transform how you do your work as an employee. I am praying that God will use this truth to change, so that when you walk into work tomorrow or Sunday, you're changed. What is this truth? What does Paul want bond servants to understand about their jobs? Now, before we look at the truth, though, I just want you to let's get this more real. Imagine that you were a bond servant in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Are you there? And you wake up one morning, and your master says, I want you to sweep the courtyard today. And then I want you to clean out the stables. I want them to be spotless. And then you know that drainage ditch at the back of the property? It's gotten full of weeds and junk. Got to dig it out like a, a meter deeper all the way along so that the drainage ditch works. That's your work for today. There you are. You're a bond servant. You just gotten your job for the day. What would Paul want you to understand about sweeping the courtyard, cleaning the stables, and digging out the drainage ditch? Look at what he says in verses 5 through 7. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. This is amazing. So in verse 5, he says that you should obey your earthly master as you would Jesus Christ himself. Verse 6, you should obey as a bondservant, not just of this master, but as a bondservant of Christ. Verse 7, serving your master means you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, not just man. You're serving Christ. So what he would want you bondservants, us bondservants to understand is that Jesus himself is calling you to obey your master. He's calling you to obey him. And that what your master is calling you to do is what Jesus is calling you to do. This is amazing. Now, that should raise lots of questions. So my master, what he's calling me to do is what Jesus is calling me to do. What if my master calls me to do something sinful? It's an important question to raise. And if that's the case, then you should respectfully tell your master that you cannot do what he's asking you to do, no matter what the consequences might be, because you have a higher master than him, right? Remember Daniel in chapter 6? Daniel was the number two man in the Babylonian Empire just under the emperor, the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon made a law. No one can pray to any god except me. That's what the king of Babylon said. And what did Daniel do? He opened his windows and kept praying and was thrown into the lion's den as a result. Remember the story? And the next morning, the lion was still hungry and Daniel got out free. Okay, so, but the point is, there are times when you might need to say, I can't do that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and he's my higher master. And you suffer the consequences for the glory of Christ. 
Okay? So that's what, that's what you do if your master calls you to sin. What if it's not a matter of sin? What if your master is calling you to do something that's a waste of time? Or unrealistic? Or maybe unfair to you? That happens, right? That happens. Okay. This is a bit more complicated. And there's no one right answer. But as you pray, as you read the scriptures, as you get counsel from other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, God will give you wisdom. It may be the time to respectfully and humbly talk to your boss, your manager, about what they've asked you to do. Or it may not. And if it's not, then the conclusion is, Jesus is calling you to do this. See how that works? Okay, so apart from sin, or from a time when you aren't really sure that they're asking you to do the right, that, that it's, it's, it's appropriate, I mean, not that it's appropriate, that you think it might be unfair, or it might be a waste of time, and it's not time to talk to them. Apart from those situations, when your master would call you as a bond servant to do something, Paul would want you to understand that Jesus is calling you to do this. So you've woken up that morning, and your master has wanted, said, I want you to sweep the courtyard. Paul would want you to be thinking, Jesus, my master, you are calling me to sweep the courtyard, right? Or when your master says he wants you to clean the stables and make sure they're spotless, Paul would want you to understand it's Jesus who's calling you. It's me, my, 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 my son, my daughter. I, I'm calling you to, to clean out the stables. And yes, make them spotless. And if your master calls you to dig out that drainage ditch in the back, it's a hot day, Jesus is calling you to dig out that drainage ditch. See how transforming this would be? Now, let's apply this to today. Jobs here in Abu Dhabi. When your boss or your manager calls you to do something, it's Jesus who is calling you to do it. The picture I have is there's your boss in front of you giving you work, and if you look up and behind, you see it's Jesus standing back there, and he's smiling and saying, this is me, I'm asking you to do this. Okay? So, Let's say that the principal at your school says that they would like you to do the report cards a week early. Ah, you know, major work, major, but, okay, that's right, Jesus, you're calling me to do the report cards a week early. See how powerful that is? Or your manager says, hey, could you drive to Dubai and deliver this package? It's urgent, it needs to be there this afternoon. Thank you. Okay, Jesus is calling you to drive that package to Dubai. Or maybe you're working as a security guard and your boss says, hey, could you take, I know you've already had your night shifts, could you take the next two night shifts? This other person couldn't make it. Jesus is calling you to take the next two night shifts. This is amazing. I would guess many of us do not look at our work that way enough, do we? So here's what I want you to think about. What part of your job do you like the least? least. And ponder the fact that Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, your God, your friend, your comfort, your hope, your joy, he's calling you to do that. Now, how does that truth change the way we work? Paul tells us in verses 5 through 7, how does this change the way we work? Look at what he says. Verses 5 through 7. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, 
as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. So when we understand that it's Jesus who's calling us to do these things, our manager or boss has called us, how will we do them? Let me give you three words to describe how we'll do them. First, we will work respectfully. Respectfully. Notice verse 5, we should obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So we should obey our earthly bosses with fear and trembling like we obey Jesus with fear and trembling. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, how do we obey Jesus with fear and trembling? What does that mean? Well, it's not that we are afraid of Jesus. It's not that we're fearful that he's going to hurt us in some way or, or fire us in some way. But what this means is that we understand who Jesus really is. Who it really is who's called us to do this. And we obey with that level of respect before him. So just stop and think, who is Jesus. It's Jesus who has said, would you do the report cards one week early? Would you work the next two night shifts? Would you drive the package to Dubai? It's Jesus who has said that. Who is Jesus? And Jesus is fully God. God is one God in three persons. God the Father, fully God. God the Son, fully God. God the Spirit, fully God. Jesus Christ, fully God is standing before you with all authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the one in whom is all authority is calling you to drive this package to Dubai. And not just does he have all authority, but think about his love as displayed on the cross. He has all authority and he has astonishing love that he would become a man, humble himself to become a man, live amongst us to show us who God is, healing loving, serving, teaching, and then go to the cross and pay for the sins of everyone who would trust him. That kind of love. And then rise from the dead. So here Jesus Christ is with all authority and with perfect love. And when you understand that he's the one who's calling you to do the report cards or to work the night shift or do the extra audit or whatever it might be, when you understand that he's the one calling you to do that, you'll say, yes, I, I trust you. You'll, you'll obey respectfully. So I try to think of an example. Let's say that this next week on Tuesday, your boss says, hey, would you come in at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning? We're having an important conference call back to the U.S. Need you here at 5. Can you do that? Jesus is standing behind your boss saying, come in tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock for the conference call. And you see Jesus who has all authority and who has perfect love for you. And when you see that he's the one calling you to come in at 5 o'clock, you obey respectfully. You don't complain. You don't roll your eyes. Another worthless conference call. You don't complain to murmur, grumble to other people at work. You obey respectfully. You see how that works? That's what Paul's saying here. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That means obey respectfully. Second word, we will work consistently. Notice, he says this a couple, two places. 
notice in verse 5, with a sincere heart. And that word sincere means single-heartedness, where it's like, yes, I'm completely committed to obeying you in doing this. I'm not like, yeah, but, yeah, but, no. Yes, single heart. And then notice verse 6, by way of, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So you don't just work when your manager's there. You work just as hard when your manager is not there. So I try to think of an example. Let's say that, that your boss wants you to, you work at a clinic, hospital clinic maybe, and your boss wants you to write down the phone number and the UAE ID number for every a patient who walks in. And you're not sure why you need to do that. I mean, really? I mean, just every time it's such busy work. But see, okay, yes, Lord. You prayed about it. It's not time to talk to him about it. Just decided just to do this one. And so you don't just do that when your manager is there watching. You don't just diligently, uh, ID number, please, yes. And phone number, yes. Okay, so manager's, manager's still here. ID number, yes. Phone number, Manager's gone, forget that stuff, go on in. No, because Jesus is always watching. And Jesus has called us to do what the manager is calling us to do. Unless it's sin, or unless it's something that we, you know, we think it's unreasonable, or isn't good for the company, or is a waste of time, or, or is unfair in some way. And then, if the Lord leads us to talk to him, we would talk to him. But otherwise, we would assume that Jesus wants us to do it, and we would do it consistently. So Paul wants us to obey respectfully, work respectfully, and work consistently. And then there's one more, enthusiastically. So think about your last week at work on the enthusiasm scale. Okay, zero being none and ten being like yahoo. Okay, so, so how was your enthusiasm? Was it up like eights and nines or was it like below zero? Okay, how was your enthusiasm scale this last week? Notice the phrase, from the heart, at the end of verse 6. What does it mean when you do something from the heart? Another way of saying it is we do it heartily, right? That means with feeling, you want to do it. And again, remember who's being talked to here? Bond servants. This is amazing. From the heart, bond servants. From the heart, employees. Then look at verse 7. Rendering service with goodwill. And that word goodwill is often translated fervently, passionately in some versions. Again, it's the idea of enthusiasm. Now, when we know that it's Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, no one loves us more than Jesus. No one is wiser than Jesus. No one cares for us more than Jesus. When we know that it's Jesus who's called us to do these different things, we will do them enthusiastically because we trust Jesus. Yes, I'll do it. And now, if we're honest, this is not easy. It's not easy here in Abu Dhabi. I, I tried to write down some reasons why it might not be easy. Like, what if the work your boss gives you is totally boring? How do you do that enthusiastically? What if the work your boss is giving you is just unnecessary? Not needed to be done. It's just a waste of time. Busy work. What if you know it's, this is a bad idea? This is just not very smart to do this. That happens sometimes, right? What if your boss does very little work and just keeps giving you all the work? That's not easy. Do that enthusiastically? 
What if your boss plays favorites? And all of his or her favorites get the nice jobs and you get all the dirty work, the grunge work. How do you work enthusiastically if that's what's going on? Now again, there might be an appropriate time to talk to your boss about these things. Right? Paul would say yes to that. So understand what Paul's saying here. I mean, bond servants really weren't able to do that because they were bond servants. Okay? That's one difference between being employees and being bond servants. So God may call you to talk to your manager, your boss, about some of these things. And let your home group know, we'll pray, and, and ask that it goes well. But there's times where Jesus will say, no, this time you just do it. Enthusiastically. Consistently. Okay? Respectfully. Now, why? How? How can we do that? And Paul gives us some added motivation. This is amazing. How else does Paul motivate us to work respectfully, consistently, and enthusiastically? And the answer is in verse 8. This could be an easy verse just to read right over. But this verse is, is life-changing, if you will understand this. It is such incredible good news. Let's read verses 7 8 together to get the flow of thought. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing, bond servants, know that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. And notice those first two words in verse 8, knowing that. So there's a truth that Paul wants bond servants. There's a truth that Paul wants employees to know that if we understand it, it will transform our work. And what is that truth? We're to know that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or whether he is free. So whenever you do good for your boss, Jesus is going to do good for you. That is astonishing. Now what does that mean? Let me clarify one thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that our hard work earns good from Jesus. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, a couple chapters earlier. Got it up here. For by grace you've been saved through faith. How? By grace. Underline that word in your Bibles. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. The grace was a gift. Being saved was a gift. Even the faith was a gift. None of this was our own doing. All gift from God. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, not earned by your works, as if you could boast in it, so that somebody could boast. So everything we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift of grace, received by faith, not earned by works. That's how everything operates in the kingdom of God. And this is important because Listen, even your best work, even your best obedience to the Lord, even your best obedience to your boss is still tinged with sinful motives. That's just the truth of the matter. So how could Jesus reward it if it's still tinged with sinful motives? It doesn't earn reward because it is still tinged with sinful motives. But the reason Jesus rewards it is because of the cross. Jesus paid for that sin. He was punished for that sin. And so because of the cross, Jesus promises, I will reward your undeserving work with good. Every time you obey, work for hard, enthusiastically, consistently, respectfully, every time you work hard at your job, I will 
reward your undeserving work with more good. He promises that to you. So, what is the good that he rewards us with? What is it? He doesn't tell us in this verse, but there's a very similar verse in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Here Paul is also talking to bond servants, and here he goes into more detail about what the good is that we receive. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Paul says, whatever you do, bond servants, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. See how similar this is to Ephesians? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that, something you need to know to do this, from the Lord you will receive, what? The inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, what is the inheritance? We saw back in Ephesians chapter 1 that if you're trusting Jesus Christ, because you're trusting him, because of his death on the cross, paying for your sins, you have received an inheritance. And the inheritance is what you'll know in heaven. It's ever-increasing joy in Christ, never-stopping joy in Christ, ever-growing joy in Christ. You'll know that forever. That's the inheritance. And Ephesians chapter 1 says that in this life now, the Holy Spirit gives us tastes of that inheritance. So in this life now, you can have actual tastes of the joy that you will have in beholding Christ, worshiping Christ, loving Jesus Christ with all the redeemed men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. You can have tastes of heaven's joys now by the Holy Spirit. And that's the good. That's what Paul says the good is here. That's the good that Paul means back in Ephesians chapter 6. So here's what this means. When we obey our masters, our managers, our bosses, the more we obey, the more Jesus will give us joy in him now and forever. We will have more joy in Jesus Christ now in this life and forever because of our obedience. Now, just important question to ask, is that increased joy something that you earned? No. Okay, Grace Church, we got to review this again. This is serious. Okay, this is very, very important. Is that increased joy something you earned by your obedience? The answer is no. Everything we receive is by grace alone, received through faith alone, not earned by works at all. It's all because of what Jesus Christ did. If Jesus hadn't died on the cross, your most perfect obedience tomorrow would get nothing from him because it would still be tinged with sin and because of past sin. It's because of the cross that Jesus can promise to reward our undeserving work with more joy in him now and forever. So we get the undeserved reward, and who gets the glory for it? Jesus does. We get the undeserved increased joy, which is awesome, and he gets all the glory for it, which is awesome. Awesome, awesome, it's all awesome. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, this is life-changing. This is job-changing. This is work-changing. So feel this. Understand this. When you're driving to Dubai, going out of your way because of what your boss asked you to deliver this passage, and you're doing it, what was the first one? Respectfully. You're doing it consistently. 
you're doing it enthusiastically for Jesus' sake, you can be confident more joy in you is coming now and forever because of this undeserved obedience right now. Now, doesn't that transform how you work? You might think, I'm not getting paid enough to do this. Okay, maybe you're not. But you're going to receive an undeserved reward of more joy in Christ now and forever, which makes pay irrelevant. The joy of knowing Christ vastly outweighs what you get in terms of pay. Or when you dutifully are writing down the ID numbers and the phone numbers of every patient who walks into the clinic and you're doing this respectfully and consistently, he's not even there, you're still doing it and you're doing it enthusiastically, joy's coming. Joy's coming. I'm going to get more joy in Jesus and he's going to get more glory through this because you're doing this for his sake because you want more joy in him and you want him more glorified and it transforms how you work. So see, nothing at your work is a waste of time. Don't ever say as you're working, this is a total waste of time. It might be from a work perspective, but it's not from an eternal joy and a present joy perspective. Do you see that? Some of you do not look like you're entirely convinced yet. <laughs> be convinced. It, this is the word of God. Jesus is real. The cross is real. Paul's an apostle. He's writing truth given to him from the Holy Spirit himself. This is the absolute truth. The way you work Sunday can increase your joy in Christ Tuesday, Wednesday, and forever. And so we work respectfully. We work consistently. We work enthusiastically for Jesus' sake. Oh, this is powerful. Now, anyway, okay, I'm going to talk... Let's talk about masters, and then we'll come back to employees, okay? What about masters? You've listened to patiently employees. What about the masters? What about managers and jobs? What does Paul call masters to do? Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So masters should do the same to bondservants. Do the same what? What does that mean? So I was wrestling with this and reading commentaries and talking to Jan and trying to figure this out. I think the answer is in verse 8. Read verses 8 and 9 together. Paul says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, notice that word does, same word as do in verse 9, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Verse 9, masters do, same word, the same to them. Do what? Do good to them. They're doing good to you in working. You do good to them. That's what Paul calls masters to do. Do good for your employee, employees. Do good for those who are on your team. Do good for those who are, are working for you. And stop threatening. Now, what does stop threatening means? I think one commentator nailed it. He said, it means don't manipulate them with threats. Don't be oppressive in your threats. Major on doing good for them, doing good for them. Doing, you might need to give some warnings sometimes, we understand how that works. But that's not the main thing. Is the main relationship with you as a manager one of threat? Or is the main feel of your relationship one of good, doing good, encouraging? So here's some suggestions in terms of how to do good. Encourage those who are working for you. Thank them when they do a good job. Honor them. 
speak well of them to upper management. Talk about your team. Talk about this person, what they did this person. Compliment them to upper management, other managers. Do all you can to make the workplace safe. That's more important in some of your work positions than in others, but super important, and that's, that's doing good for them. Do all you can to make sure that their contracts are being honored. That's important in this country, right? Stick up for them. I need to pray. Should I go to upper management about this? I don't think this person's being treated fairly. They're working for me. Jesus may want you to go and talk to somebody about that. Risky? Maybe. Is Jesus worth it? Absolutely. Seek to help them when they're struggling in their job. Do they, have they gotten the training? Do they not understand something? Do all you can to help them do well. Do all you can to help them grow in their skills and abilities. Seek raises or bonuses to, uh, for those who deserve them. I remember Kirk Wadlow when he was here and in our home group in DNA, we were praying because he was working with trying to get raises for some of the people that were working for him. It took a little bit of work. But I'll never forget the Saturday morning in DNA. He said, the raises came through this week. And it was a celebration time. But he was seeking to do good for those who were working for him. See how that works? So if you're a manager, your job before Jesus, what he's asking you is, have you done good for your employees? Have you done good for your team? What good did you do for them on Tuesday? What good did you do for them on, on Wednesday? And why should managers do this? Verse 9, masters do the same, that is do good to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master, both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there's no partiality with him. So Jesus is their master as well. Whether they're trusting him or not, he really is their master. We pray that they'll come to trust him and be forgiven by him. But whether they do or not, you're not just their master. Jesus is their master. Who's their real master? Jesus is their real master. So it's not just you being the master. You're their master and yours. So they have a master, Jesus, and you have a master, Jesus, and there's no partiality with him. Which means that even if you're more skilled than they are or more important in the organization than they are, you and your employees are all absolutely equal before Jesus Christ. Absolutely equal before him. Do you believe that? Absolutely equal before him. And he's looking at you saying, are you doing good for them? Are you doing good for them? Okay, what does this mean for us? Amazing passage about how it's not just in doing what we call God's work that we can glorify Jesus Christ, but also when we're doing our work. And you see now that actually doing our work is actually doing God's work. Do you see that? Your teaching is God's work. I was telling somebody this week, my job as a pastor is not more holy than, than his job as an HR person, okay? Just, it's what God's called you to do, what God's called me to do. This is God's work for you, and you are called to glorify Jesus Christ in your job. And this is how. Powerful passage. Now, here's three takeaways. I wanted to give one takeaway for, for anybody here who's not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. It is you, you've not yet come to the place where you're trusting Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to change your heart, to fill you with joy knowing Him. You're just not quite at that place yet. But here's what I hope you will see from this passage. Do you, do you see how Jesus 
love and power and joy can transform a workplace. Do you see how a workplace would be transformed if we followed what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage? And by seeing Jesus' love and power and joy and how it could transform a workplace, do you see how loving and good and real and true Jesus Christ is? And my prayer is that you'll see that right now and that that will make you say, I, I want to trust Jesus. If this is how good he is, if this is how powerful he is, if this is how loving he is, I want to trust him, be forgiven, be changed, be filled. And I hope you'll do that right now. Right now. Second takeaway. This is for managers, bosses. Jesus is telling you, you are not more important than those working under you. You're not. Not to me. You're not. So humble yourself. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what I'm calling you to do is do good for them. Do good for them this week. That's your job. I'm your Lord. I'm your master. This is what I'm calling you, bosses, managers, to do. Because you'll display my glory, is what Jesus is saying. As you do good for your employees, my glory will be displayed. And Abu Dhabi will be impacted as a result. That's the word to managers, bosses. But if you're an employee, here's what Jesus is telling you. He's saying, at least for now, I've called you to this job, and I've called you to have this boss. That may change, but at least for now, this is the job and the boss I've called you to as the way you can glorify me for most of your week. So he's called you to this. And he says, I promise to reward all the work you do with more joy in me now and forever. I promise. None of it's wasted. None of it's wasted. I will reward your undeserving work with more joy in me now and forever. So work respectfully this week. Work consistently this week. Work enthusiastically this week to display my glory. So Grace Church, this is so important for us here in Abu Dhabi. Think about how much Abu Dhabi needs employees and managers and bosses who are displaying the glory of Jesus Christ. Light will shine in your dark workplace. The light of Jesus' glory will shine in your dark, dark workplace. And God will use that to bring people to faith in Him. He will. And that's what we're here for. So let's do this. All right, let's stand. I want to pray for us. God, I pray for your power to take these words, these truths, and sink them deep into our hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd move upon all of us here and that this morning we would be saying that we want to dedicate our jobs to you, to your glory. Our jobs as employees, 
our jobs as managers, our jobs where we are both employees and managers. We want to dedicate our jobs to you for your glory. We say, Lord Jesus, for us to live is you. You are what life is all about. You are what our lives are all about. And so, Lord, with this next worship song, now we want to dedicate our jobs to you. Help us, strengthen us, enable us, but we dedicate our work to you in Jesus' name.